Yeah, so today we're going to finish uh, the topic on how to help your spouse grow. And um, next week, I'll try to mention this at the end too for those who aren't with us yet. Um, next week I'm going to start talking about the physical relationship in marriage and um, spend at least two weeks on that. Um, so uh, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, so gracious to us, and we praise you for that. Now, dear Lord, we, we come to you today and we thank you for the opportunity to think about our marriages and reflect upon your word as it applies to our marriages. We pray that you'd be with us, that you'd make this time fruitful for each marriage. And we pray, dear Lord, that uh, you would allow um, all those who are participating, whether in person or online, to, to grow and to um, be changed by your spirit as a result of what we talk about this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as is often the case, uh, after last class, my wife had some really good input that I thought we'd, I'd start with today. Uh, we were talking last week about the tools that God has given us to help each other grow in our marriages. That is, spouses have to help their spouse to grow in the Lord. And, um, and we said three things. We said humility, love, and prayer. And um, then under prayer, we listed several things, including uh, repentance and praying for your own heart and praying for your spouse if before you ever, you know, try to bring something to their attention and, um, and other things as well. But she, she said, uh, how about gratitude? How about the prayer of gratitude? And I thought that was a great uh, catch of something that was missing in, uh, in my presentation. Um, and it really raises up, raises an, another issue that is really important it really, it could go under prayer or could go under love, but the whole subject of affirmation and gratitude for the other person, ex expressed gratitude, heart gratitude, which produces the fruit of expressed gratitude. Um, if we want to be listened to, when the time comes to give our spouse constructive criticism, they have to know that we cherish them, that we are grateful for them. You know, one of the funny dynamics about uh, people is that when you love someone, th your love sort of magnifies their strengths to you. When you love someone, that magnifies their virtues and their strengths to you. And when you hate someone, it shrinks their virtues and it magnifies their weaknesses. So when you hate someone, all you notice is their weaknesses. And when you love someone, it's not that all you notice is their strengths, but you notice those first and foremost. And even though a lot of people 
have never heard that intellectually with words. They know it. And so when, they, when someone's always criticizing them, they feel like this person doesn't like me. And your spouse will be the same way. If you are just giving negative feedback, even if you give it kindly and patiently and gently, if that's all you give, it will feel like to them that you don't lo love them. So you've got to establish a pattern of showing that you love them, showing that you notice the wonderful things about them before you, you know, step in to say, here's, here's something that I think you should think about in terms of a constructive criticism. You know what, I remember this was a terrible problem for me for many, many years. And um, I remember in seminary, um, I was talking to a, a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, and uh, um, we were talking about this subject, the subject of affirming our wives. And, uh, and I shared with him, I, I shudder to even tell you because it's so embarrassing that I would even say this, but, but uh, I said with him, you know, the, I, I just, I rack my brain for things to affirm my wife about, but, you know, I don't want to lie and just make up things to, to affirm her about. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, your sin isn't in lying your sin is in being blind to all the praiseworthy things about your wife that you're not seeing. And uh, I've, you know, that was over 40 years ago, and I still remember it because it really hit me. And, uh, and God has shown me that more and more over the years, that, that it, my wife has many ways that she reflects the image of God in her and many ways that she reflects Christ in her the fruits of the spirit but it's really easy for me to not cherish those things not even notice those things but to notice the things that need fixing and, uh, and so for many years you know, pretty much my constructive criticism went relatively unheeded. <laughs> it was, you know, in my mind, this was her problem. And now I see, you know, it, it's uh, nobody's going to listen. I mean, I'm not saying nobody, but generally, people, you can't expect people to listen. In fact, you can't expect God to open their ears to what you have to say if, you know, you aren't seeking to, uh, to appreciate the thing. So some of us need to take time and, and just ponder what is worthy about my spouse that I need to praise. What Am I not noticing? Now, I'm not saying that you're like I was, and I hope you're, you're not like I was, but, um, but all of us 
can slip into ex, um, familiarity. You know, you, you lose the luster when you get familiar with something. It loses its luster. And, uh, and that's a wrong thing. That's not a good thing. We won't be like that in heaven. When you have an experience in heaven, and I'm convinced, even the experiences you've had here on earth that have grown old for you, when you get to heaven, they will no longer be old hat to you. You will experience them with the freshness of the first time you ever experienced it, with the wonder and the freshness. And that will per perpetually continue so it, it, for all eternity. So we'll be, instead of you know, our memory just sort of fading into the distance, we'll have perfect memory in heaven where our, the things that we see and appreciate and wonder will always be with us. And it will just accumulate because we'll see more and more and more and more as we both experience new things and also as we dig into the past and see the beauty of the things that happened in our lives and the purposes of God in them and that kind of thing. So it's, uh, it's really an important thing to uh, have a discipline of affirmation and it's really more important even than trying to work to change your spouse or to help your spouse to grow. But, uh, and another thing that um, I should have mentioned last week that really goes under the whole issue of humility is the humility implies gentleness. Um, if you're going to approach your spouse and, and desire to give them feedback, to do it humbly, you need to do it gently, generally, at least. There's a time for anger, to, and sin, you know, it's possible to ang be angry and sin not, as Ephesians 4.26 tells us. Um, <clears throat> so it's not that you should never be angry, but, uh, but there's always a tempering of anger in love. So... You know, even, in other words, even anger needs to be expressed in love. Um, there's certainly, um, you see that when parenting, you know, you have to be angry at times with your children. They need to understand uh, the, the enormity of something they may have done um, and the, the scandal of it. You know, if, if, if somebody does something cruel, if your child does something cruel or or um, you know, really mean to an, a, a person that you know can't help, heart, uh, can't protect themselves. They need to know that you're angry, but um, but it needs to be done in a way that they know that it's from love. And the same thing in um, in marriage, you can't attack the other person, um, even though you might be angry. You can't attack. Uh, you can't come to them in revenge or in disdain. Um, you can't do anything to try to hurt them. If you're trying to hurt your spouse, then you are 
not loving them. And, and ultimately, you know, I, I can't remember which verse this is in James 1, but it says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, this isn't, you know, all anger. There's anger of God, but the anger of man, the, the part that's fleshly, doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. It's not a weapon that, that does any good to your spouse or to your marriage. And uh, now, of course, we're going to fail in this. It's not like, okay, now we know we're not supposed to do this anymore. We're going to go on and, and, uh, and be you know, anger-free and, and disdain-free for the rest of our marriages. But know that it's wrong. Know that it's destructive. And then you can deal with it as a sin if it occurs. But I'd remind you of Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's the spirit with which God has given us to confront another person who we believe is in sin. And it works in marriage too. Um, And one more thing. The Bible doesn't tell us to treat men and women the same. Um, You know, Jesus never rebuked a woman. He rebuked a lot. He rebuked the Pharisees. He rebuked the disciples. He never in all the Gospels rebuked a woman. He always spoke tenderly to to women. Now, in the whole Bible... I only know of one woman that really got strongly rebuked. I may be missing a story or two, but there's not many. And that's Jezebel, you know, and, uh, and when God really came down strong on her. But otherwise, you know, the Bible generally um, speaks tenderly to women. Um, and... And, uh, you know, then you think of 1 Peter 3, 7, where husbands are given the instruction, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So there is, God, God tells us explicitly here to be very careful and recognize our ability to wound and hurt our wives. Um, so there's lots of reasons why a husband ought to be very careful about bringing a strong rebuke to his wife. Um, now, is it okay for a wife to bring a strong rebuke to her husband? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think it's different with different men. Um, I think it's important that you remember to be motivated by love. Um, Myself, I would like my wife to bring a strong rebuke to me if she feels like I need it. But other men, if, you know, there are other men who, if you're yelling at them, they shut down and they're not going to really hear what you have to say. So I think probably the best thing is to ask your husband, you know, when you're not dealing with a hard issue and say, you know, would you like me, 
Would you like to give me the tool of strongly rebuking you when I feel like you need it? And, uh, and do what they say. Um, okay. So in this uh, whole issue of, um, uh, you know, trying to help our spouses to grow, there are two, there's a new theme here, two different extremes, two things that we have to avoid, two ways that you can go off the path. One is to desire to master someone, you know, to you want to be in control of them, you're going to fix them, you want them to be the way that you want them to be, um, which is really uh, a, uh, an arrogant attitude and very selfish because ultimately we want to help our spouses grow into what God wants them to be. We want them to be first and foremost his servants, not our own. Um, so there's that error, that danger, that is very common. And, and I, I pray it's not a, a part of any of your marriages, but um, even if it isn't, you will, in your lifetime, you will uh, come into contact with couples where that's exactly what's going on. And, uh, and to sometimes to a degree, you know, where it's, it's really horrific. So, uh, so you need to be alert to this danger, even if it's not something that you think you might fall into. But the other danger, the opposite danger, is not daring to say anything, not daring to ever give any negative feedback. And there are couples like this as well. You may not think that because you always, you know, at least in our marriage, there's so much feedback that we're giving each other whether we like it or not, that, you know, it's hard for us to think that there's other couples where there's one of the people is starving for feedback and the other will never give it. But we know people like that. And, uh, and that is uh, just as dangerous on the other side. And a lot of times it's just such a hate of conflict that there's such a fear of having a conflict with your spouse that basically you're not willing to risk it. You're going to keep quiet. And that, that's just so unhealthy, you know, what that does to your, your heart and your soul. Um, we need to be able to, you know, a couple is a couple. You work together. You, one of the greatest benefits we have in being married is to, to have the other person there. Um, we're not looking for mere peaceful coexistence in our marriages. Um, peace, you know, it's like what Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. And even though he was talking about, you know, the war that comes from dividing people into those who are, who are on Christ's side and those who are against him, the same thing is true, you know, that in each of us, there are things in each of us that are against Christ. And those things, you can't just, you know, ignore them. We need to, sh to put a mirror in front of our spouse's faces and let them see what they're like. Because <clears throat> they don't know. They don't know everything about what they're like. 
just think about the example of Jesus and his bride. He doesn't just let her be herself and do what is natural to her. He loves her. He shows her love to such a degree that it brings tears to your eyes. And yet he also deals with her. And he uh, confronts her. And he challenges her as well as inspire her and praise her, but he doesn't hold back. Now, he holds back at times in little ways, like when he says to his disciples, you have other things to say, but you can't take it yet. So, you, you know, you don't just give the double barrels all the time. You, you target and you, um, you wait. So I'm not saying that there's... There's no time to wait, but it's not because you're just unwilling to deal with the issue. It's because this isn't the right time. Um, and if there's never a right time, then you have to start thinking, you know, maybe I'm really unwilling to deal with the issue. Um, so, you know, ultimately, in marriage, it's so tempting to seek to make your spouse love you more. And that's really the wrong approach. You shouldn't be seeking to get your spouse to love you more. You should be seeking to get your spouse to love Jesus more and to become what Christ wants her or him to be. And then you know, that will inevitably result in them loving you in better ways um, and usually more, but that's not the goal. The goal is to help them grow and become what they ought to be um, in Christ. It all starts with being able to trust the, your, the Lord yourself in your marriage. To be able to um, remember that God is sovereign over your marriage and that he's sovereign over your spouse. So that if, if they're not changing, that's in God's hands. And, you, you know, and basically in, in, in a lot of places in the workplace, a lot of places in sports, they use the expression, you trust the process. You know, it's like, I believe that the coach has set up a wise process of how we're supposed to approach this. And instead of panicking in a given situation and, and, uh, and inventing a new process, I've just got to trust the process. And it's the same thing with the Lord. He's given us a process. You know, you love, you you. You remain at, at peace even when the other person's not doing what they're supposed to do. Um, you, you pray. You rest in the Lord. You give feedback, even if it takes a lot of courage for you to do so. You know, he's given us all these guidelines and just trust the process because there's, the Lord is behind it. He's not just wise in that he set up the process wisely, 
but he is in charge of it, so he makes sure it works. Now, it doesn't always look like it's working in the short term, but it works. So trust the Lord and, and sit, stand back and watch what he, the beautiful things that he will do. Um, God can change people like that. Even though your spouse may be the most stubborn person you've ever met in your life, they're not more stubborn than God is strong in dealing with people. And think of Paul, you know, Saul of Tarsus. Think of Nebuchadnezzar, these incredibly stubborn, hard-hearted men, and God just changed them. One, you know, Nebuchadnezzar took seven years of insanity, but Paul was pretty immediate. Um, so remember that. And uh, remember that God has a purpose for their weaknesses in your life. So, you know, maybe God's saying something to you by not allowing, not giving them the grace to change. We've already gone over this. But let me just finish by reminding us a little bit of, the, uh, of a little theology. You know, in, in theology, uh, we talk about the preceptive will of God and the decorative will of God, or the decretive will of God. The precepts of God and the decree of God. The precepts meaning the law of God. The decree meaning the plan of God. So there's the law of God and the plan of God, and they're both God's will. But sometimes God uh, ordains, he thinks it's best if the two of them conflict. If the will, if the plan of God conflicts with the law of God. And you will find that one of the times that's most frustrating in marriage is when God has willed that your spouse not follow the law of God. That God's plan is for your spouse not to follow his law. And that's a time when it's tempting to throw out the, the, uh, the uh, process and Take matters into, try to take matters into your own hands. But think about the cross. I mean, this is exactly what happened at the cross, as Peter says in Acts 4. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So God predestined, he ordained, he planned for evil things to happen. And yet it brought about the greatest good that anything ever accomplished. Like with Joseph, you know, you meant it for evil, Joseph says. God meant it for good. So just because someone else is uh, doing something inappropriate or being having a bad attitude, don't let that throw you off. Continue with the process. Continue to love. Continue to pray. Continue to repent and search your own heart. And then once you've done everything, just wait and wait for the Lord to, uh, to work. So... Um, couple questions for you to 
do in small groups. I'd like the men and the and the women to meet separately today and talk about uh, these two questions. Um, and they're just two, and I, but I don't have slips today. Do you give too much feedback to your spouse or too little? Do you think you give too much feedback or too little? Um, and then second of all, how do you think you do in terms of affirming your spouse? And how could you grow in that area if you feel like you need to grow in that area? Okay, so maybe put the husbands in the back somewhere and let the wives meet up here and talk about those two questions. Do you give too much feedback or too little? And how do you do as a spouse in affirming your spouse? Okay.